chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. Tonight, the name of the message is Instruction for Christian Homes. Instruction for Christian Homes. Our text will be found in... I'm going to try to get through it all from 18 to 21. 18 to 21. But let's read the context of our, of our scripture It'll be verses 16 to 24. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as man-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Tonight, we'll be looking at Paul putting forth instruction for the Christian home, where the husband and the wife profess Christ. And before we do that, let us review our verse last week, which was verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So everything we do, everything we do, is to be done in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for His glory. So when we go to work, or whatever we do, wherever we go, we're to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory, with thanksgiving to the Father as our position and our acceptance is in Christ and him alone. And note it says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Because again, it is through him, it is through him that we have acceptance with the Father. And it is in him that we're able to even stand in the midst of the Father, before the Heavenly Father. So whether in preaching, whether in singing, whether in praying, whether in teaching, or in conversation with other believers, let us do all that we do in the name of Christ and for His glory. Let Him be the center. Let Him be magnified. Whether in the home or on the job or in any of the business, business where we may work or social contacts, let us do it all for the name of, of Christ and for his glory. In doing all things for his name and for his glory will bring unity of heart among believers. It'll, it'll, it'll cement believers because, because our love for Christ is what, is what brings us together, isn't it? And it's Christ alone who brings us together. The reason we gather here together is to hear Christ preached and proclaimed. It's because we have a love for Christ. We have a love for the gospel. And who's the gospel all about? Now, you may go places, or people may go places, and they may hear the name Jesus. But the gospel's not being preached there, beloved. 
The gospel will be preached here, Lord willing, every time a man steps into the pulpit. Because that's what we desire to hear. That's what we want. We want to hear Christ, Christ crucified and him alone. I read a thing by Joe Tarot, I think it said, preaching Christ simply and nothing else. That's it. That's it right there. That is who we want to hear proclaim is Christ and him alone. And we are to do all things for his name and his glory and it will bring unity of heart among believers. In Christian homes, it will, it will drive out divisions and strife if we do all things for God's glory and not for selfish purposes. When we first started this chapter, I gave us an overview and I'm going to go over it now quickly. An overview that Brother Mahan bought out where he had broken down this chapter into five sections. The first was one to four, where we, should see, we see our attitude towards the material world and towards spiritual things in verses one to four. We're to set our minds upon Christ and him alone. We're to keep our eyes focused upon him, not upon circumstances that are going on, because whenever we do that, me, me especially, I'll get all worked up. No, I'm to keep my mind on Christ. That's why he says to set your heart and your mind, your affection, and your mind upon him, upon heavenly things, which is Christ. He's in the heavenlies. We are to set our minds and hearts to him. In verses 5 to 9, we see our attitude towards sin and toward the flesh and toward the old man and towards his, towards his deeds. We're to put off, put off the flesh, put off the old man. Malice, anger, wrath, blasphemy, filthy communication out of our mouth. We're not to lie to one another. We're, we're to put off the old man and his deeds. And in verses 10 to 15, we see our attitude toward other people. Our attitude toward other people. In verses 16 and 17, we have our attitude towards the word of God, toward worship, and toward the ministry of the word. To do all things for the glory of God. In and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And him alone. That's why you constantly hear me say, we're going to give him all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Because that's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to give it all to him. He has the preeminence. He has the preeminence, beloved. Now, verses 18 to 25, we have our attitude towards those to whom we, we are joined together in human relations, relationships. And tonight we'll be beginning uh, the last section on our attitude towards those whom we are joined to in human relations. And Paul here is exhorting the, the Colossian believers and us tonight. And um, let's just jump right into it. Paul brings forth before us, in verse 18, Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Now, the, the verb translated submit here carries the implication of, of voluntarily yield, yieldedness to a recognized authority. Now, biblical submission Biblical submission is appropriate through the scriptures in several circumstances. Not just here, but in several circumstances, beloved. Number one, the wife to her husband, which is mentioned here in, and also in Ephesians 5, 22 and 24, which we'll be looking at later on. Number two, children to their parents. Ephesians 6, 1 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Number three, believers... to to the elders of the church. Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourself for they watch for your souls as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief 
for that is unprofitable for you. Hebrews 13, 17, and then over in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, it says this, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. And then we are to submit to as citizens to the state, as citizens to the state in Romans 13, verses 1 and 2, it says this, that every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And then servants, employees, Brother John, you're, you're, you are submissive to your employer, your boss. Same with Brother Tim and, and, and Sister... Sister Bonnie, you're submissive to your employers. And Carrie, you're submissive to your employers. So that's another one, too. We are to be submissive to our employers, to, to our masters, they're called. In Scripture, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the forward. Vicki and I, when we had our cleaning business, we were servants to the people that we... That, that's just another way of saying it. It was our own business. We worked on our own, but we were subservient to the people that we were working for. We had to do what they wanted to do, as long as it didn't go against what God, what God says in his word. And also, every believer is to be in humble service to one another. Ephesians 5.21 says this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Same word, same word. And also think of this. When our Lord was upon this earth, he was submissive to the Father's will. He was submissive to the Father's will. He says this in John 5.30, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear it, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father, which has sent me. And then in Luke, he said this, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and, and kneeled down and prayed. Kneeled down and prayed. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He's submissive to the Father, beloved. So submission is a biblical principle. And it's, as I said, the verb translated carries the implication of voluntary yieldness to a recognized authority. We also do that with Christ, don't we? We submit to his authority when he saves us. We submit to him. He's our Lord. We don't make him Lord. He's already Lord. But we bow our knee to, to his authority in our lives. In our lives. So we see that submission is a biblical principle and the believer submits to Christ ruling in our lives, working all things out for our good and for his purpose. Now let us remember this too, that God gives grace and strength to his people as we saw in verse 17. We are to do all things to the glory of God in Christ's name and God is the one who strengthens us and gives us the grace to do that. And God gives us the strength and the grace to submit to those in, in authority over us. So let us remember this as we examine the next verse. The next verses is God will give us grace and strength and power to the believer to carry out the exhortations that are set here before us. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. All to the glory of God. 
So let's go back and look at verse 17 in, in chapter 3. This is the key, actually. This is the key right here. This is the key to the next verses as well. Verse 17 gives us the purpose in carrying out the exhortations that are to come. Because it's all for God's glory. We cannot explain verses 18, uh, verses 3.18 to 4.1 without verse 17. It's the key. It's the key, beloved. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Again, it all centers around Christ, all of it. So with this in mind, let us look at, at the scriptures tonight. I'm hoping we'll get through verses 18 to 21. It says in 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Now God's divine order is here set before us as the husband is the head of the house, with Jesus Christ as the husband's head. Christ is, Christ is the husband's head. <laughs> He's the head of all of us. The church, our families, Christ is the head. So wives here, it says, are to be in subjection, they're, they're to voluntarily yield to the authority that God has established here, to their own husbands, in all things, for the glory of Jesus Christ, who has placed married women in that position in the household. And those who rebel against God's divine order are, are rebelling against God. Are rebelling against God. Because he's the one who set this order up, beloved. He's the one who has set this order up. So now let us remember that submission spoken of in our text is not grounded in any supposed superiority of the husband. Okay, or inferiority of the wife. That's just not so. Because Scripture declares in Galatians 3.28 this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ. And also in Peter it says this, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So let's look at a few things that submission is not. That is not submission. Submission does not mean that a wife is obligated to follow her husband should he lead her into sin. That's evident at the latter part of this verse, as it is fit in the Lord. Okay, that's, that's evident right before us. So a wife is not obligated to follow her husband should he lead her into sin. Neither does submission entail silence. Husbands and wives make decisions all through the marriage together. Together. The believing wife submits to the husband's authority in the final decision as long as it is fit in the Lord. As long as it is fit in the Lord. And remember, the husbands will make decisions or should make decisions with their wives in mind. With their wives in mind. Leading her in love. Leading her in love. Which will then, if, if a husband leads his wife in love, it will, your wife will willingly submit to you. And this is what Christian men are exhorted to do. Because the next verse... It lays it down for us guys.
So a believing wife willingly submits to God's biblical authority in the marriage. Submission is the wife being in subjection to the husband as is fit in the Lord, obeying him, respecting his judgments and decisions, and following his leadership as long as it does not violate the word of God. Jesus Christ must have preeminence in all things and to rebel against his divine orders, to rebel against our great God and King. Saying we will not have him to have the preeminence in our lives. John Calvin comments on this verse. Let us again remember that this is according to the appointment of the Lord, so that he conforms the subjection of wives by the authority of God. It's God's will that we're together, Vicki and I. It's God's will that, that, that Brother Chet and we are together. It's wonderful. So knowing that, too, and same with you, um, Brother John and Sister Ruth. Knowing that, it's, it, 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 it's incredible when you think about that. It's absolutely incredible. Also, he requires love on the part of the husbands to their wives. And they are not to be bitter against them, lest they should abuse their authority in the way of tyranny. We are not to be tyrants. That's not scriptural. Not at all. And back, remember, remember too how it was when Paul was writing this too. And it still goes on today. You have men who are tyrants over their wives and it's not right at all. It's not right at all. Especially, now we know that in unsaved folks that happens a lot, but especially in the household of faith, we ought not to be that way. We, especially we men, we, we, we love and we cherish our brides just as Christ loved the church. Look at the next verse. Here we go. This leads right into our next verse. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now we see here that the Christian husband is to cherish his wife because she's his beloved. His beloved. Again, the believing husband is not to be a tyrant. Demanding all he can get and throwing his weight around. That happens a lot in the world. But we husbands are to lead in love. We're to lead in love. Always keeping in mind. We husbands are to lead in love. Always keeping in mind the glory of God. And the same with the wives. Submitting to the husbands. Always keeping in mind the glory of God. The glory of God. It's wonderful. And who, who are we to glorify God in? Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Lord. And, and when you have a believing wife and a believing husband and you both being redeemed... It's incredible. It's, 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 it's amazing. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. So the husband's not to be a tyrant. And it ought not to even be so with unsaved people. It, it, it just isn't right. It just isn't right. Always keeping in mind, though, the believing husband. Always keeping in mind the glory of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think about Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, my, how much did Christ love his bride? And that's the, that's the point that's coming across there. And we're going to see that in Ephesians 5. The point is Christ loved his bride. Vicky's my bride. Christ loved his bride unto death. Unto death. Oh, we're to love them, thanking God for our wives. And loving them as Christ loved the church. 
Okay, Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verses 22. We're going to read a large portion here. 22 to 33. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So the same as when we're at work, we're doing a... We're at work, we're doing our work unto the Lord, aren't we? No matter what we do, we're to do it unto the Lord. Whether, and I'm not equating being a husband or a wife to a job, not at all. But we are to be, we are to, we are to love our um, wives are to submit themselves unto their husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So here's the order that God's established, right? And he is the savior of the body. Christ is the savior of the body. Christ is the one who saves his bride. And all the elect of all the ages are the bride of Christ. And he is the savior of the body. That means all his people that were given to him by the Father in eternity. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now look at this though. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. We're one. Right? The twain shall become one. We're united. We're united. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Okay, take note of verse 25 here. For we husbands, look at this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. This verse, beloved, before us, in, in Ephesians 5.25, this verse is a testimony to the greatness of the love of Christ for his people. The greatness. And it should so be for a husband with his wife, too. Look at the greatness. Look at the greatness of the love of Christ for his people. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He gave himself for his people on Calvary's cross. This love, beloved, is a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love. He gave all for, his, for the church. He gave all for his bride. He gave all. Dying on the cross is our substitute. This is a sincere love, one of constant affection. Constant affection. Remember, Christ delights in his bride, and we husbands who are believers are to delight in our wives, treating our wives with kindness, respect, and we are to defend them before all. Whether it be parents, children, or those who would discredit her or abuse her. I remember one time, my mom 
made accusation about my bride. And I was on the phone with her. And I had to say, Mom, I have to hang up now. Because you're wrong. And I hung up. And the next day she called me back apologizing. I will defend my bride to the end. And this is how it should be for we who are we who are husbands with our wives, whether it be children, parents, or anyone discredit our bride, we stand up for them. But think of this in the text, though. Again, and I can't get over this, the greatness of the love of Christ for his people. So great is the love of Christ for his people that he, the sinless one, hung upon Calvary's cross and our sins, the sins of all his people, the sins of his bride, every single one of them, billions upon billions upon billions of sins were placed upon our king. And he bore the price for every single one of them. The sinless sacrifice. Our sins are imputed to him. The perfect spotless lamb of God dying in our place. He gave himself for us. And his perfect righteousness is imputed to us, given to us, given to us. And Christ did this because he loved the church. He loves his people. With, and think of the greatness of the love of God in Christ. Think of the everlastingness of this love. He still loves us now. He loved us in eternity. He loved us when he was hanging upon that cross. And he willingly gave himself for his people. There's no love like this. That's sacrificial love. Husband and wife are one in the Lord. And must not suffer this union to be broken, either in their own eyes or the eyes of others, particularly their children. And no home can be built for, for Christ's glory or for, for our good if we're willing to, if we are, are pulling our separate selfish ways. Beloved, we are to walk together in love and affection. And we are to seek the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us. For us. An offering and a sacrifice to God. Who had we sinned against? God. Who does Christ offer himself up in our place to? God. It's amazing. What love, beloved. What love hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smell and Savior. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Now our text continues in verse 20 and 21 in Colossians chapter 3. It says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. 
Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Verse 20, children are exhorted to obey their parents in all things, as this is pleasing unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. The children of believers are to obey their parents. They're not to dishonor their parents. They're to honor their father and mother, and they're to respect them and respect their decisions. They are to speak respectfully of them because this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Scripture declares this in Exodus 20.12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now note here, and we'll note here, that children do not need to be encouraged to rebel. <laughs> no. They don't need to be encouraged to rebel against authority because that just comes naturally. It does. I was watching a video of two little babies the other day. And these two little babies, the one guy was sitting there and he had one of those plugs in his mouth. We call them plugs. He had a plug in his mouth and the other little guy that looked like his twin brother was reaching over and grabbing the pacifier and taking it out and putting it in his mouth. And the other guy started crying and he's reaching over trying to get it off of him. He gets it out, sticks it back in his mouth, and the other guy starts crying. So this went on, the video went on for about a minute or two, and they were just doing this back and forth. And I think it was Brother Tim James who wrote, no need to, no need to question depravity in, in humans after that one. And it's true, because we're born sinners. We're born selfish. We're born, that's how we are. That's how we are. So kids don't need to be encouraged to rebel. It comes naturally. Now, there are two dangerous directions we take in raising children, either being too hard and unreasonable with them or being too indulgent and easy with them. Both ways will spoil a child and, and make them rebellious. Both, both ways will. May we parents seek God's will and not our own in raising our children. And may we seek God's glory and not our own. And may we seek God's tenderness in dealing with our children as well. May we never forget, turn if you would to Hebrews chapter 12, may we never forget that we who believe all come into this world with a sinful, rebellious spirit at enmity with God. So in raising our children, let us never forget the awful pit that God has delivered us from. Hebrews 12 verses 5 to 8. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto unto children. My son, despise not thou chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou re rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The Lord chastens his children. We chasten our children. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then, then are ye bastards and not sons. So this leads to our last verse that we would like to look at tonight. Look at this in Colossians 3.21, which says this. Fathers, provoke not your children unto anger, lest they be discouraged. Now, we fa fathers like to joke around with our kids and sometimes get them riled up. Here we have an exhortation that, that we are not to provoke our children to anger lest they be discouraged. A loving, ch chastening hand from the Father 
of a child is one thing, but provoking our children to anger is quite another thing. Now, some parents, again, are too lenient with their children, letting them do whatever they want to do or never correcting them or wanting to be their best friends. But we are called, we who are parents are called to parent our children. And, and there are some, though, who abuse parental authority by being too hard on them. And some people, when they punish their child, scream at the top of their lungs while they're disciplining them, and that, that's wrong, too. That's wrong, too. Some... Some people provoke, provoke their children by demeaning them, by demeaning them with harsh words. Demeaning them with harsh words which actually contradict the words, I love you. It really does. And then some compare, and, and uh, I know some who have went through this, some compare their kids to their siblings and say, you're never going to amount to nothing. Or, um, or you're, you're never going to be like your brothers or sisters. Why can't you be like them? That ain't right either. Because each one of us is individuals, aren't we? Each one of us is individuals with different strengths and different weaknesses. A good verse to look at is Ephesians chapter 6. Turn there if you would. Verse 4. And I'd like to close with this, and then we're, uh, I'll say a few words on this verse. But look at this. And this is good for us to remember with our children. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the, the, nurture, bring them up in the nurture and admir, admir, admonition of the Lord. We are to raise our children in the admonition of the Lord, instructing them in the knowledge of divine things. Tell them that the great things that God has done for us. Now, sometimes they might not want to hear it, but we should still tell them. Tell them the great things that God's done for us. What mercy he's had upon us. And we live our lives, we who are believers, live our lives before our children daily, daily. They see our good good times and they see her bad times. And we are to raise them up though, nurture them in the admiration of the Lord. Pray for them and pray with them. We are to teach them and admonish them in the things of Christ, telling them of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and how salvation is holy in Him. And we don't just say this to our children, we tell everyone family members, friends. When the Lord opens the door, and that's the thing, don't try to force the door open. When I was in religion, I used to try to force a door open to talk to people. Don't. Let the Lord open the door. And you know when he, when he opens the door. You have freedom and liberty to speak about Christ and him alone. So we are to teach our children and admonish them in the things of Christ telling them of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and how salvation is holy in him. Nowhere else. We are to admonish them and tell them of the work of Christ, which he accomplished as our substitute upon Calvary's cross. We are to tell them of how Christ died for sinners. And we are to tell them of how he, he died and he was buried. We're to tell them of 
of his resurrection. And we're to tell them of how he's seated right now at the right hand of the Father in majesty, in power. We are to admonish them and tell them of Christ's work. Tell them of what Christ accomplished as our substitute. He paid it all. He paid it all. We are to tell them of how Christ died for sinners. And we are to tell them of how his death, burial, and resurrection in accordance with the scripture and for the remission of the sins of his people. We are to tell them that redemption is in Christ and him alone and that he has accomplished by his obedience, by his obedience, living under the law of God perfectly for his people to fulfill all righteousness. And of his sacrifice as a substitutionary atonement, He gave himself for us, for his people. He paid the price for the sins of all his people, satisfying the Father's wrath. We are to tell them that this gospel is the power of God unto salvation, that salvation is of the Lord completely, completely. And that when, God, that when we are weak in our weakness, he is strong. We are to tell him that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves, but God can save all who come to Christ. And we are to admonish them and tell them that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to save sinners. And we are to ask them. Ask them if they know that they're sinners. And we are to pray that God would show them that they are. We are to tell them that Christ is the mediator of his people and that he right now sits at the right hand of God advocating for his sheep. And we are to tell them of this wondrous salvation in and through Christ Jesus alone and how the believer in Christ has all their sins forgiven. Not just some, but all of them. And that all who have faith in Christ have eternal salvation and live by faith all through the rest of their time here on this earth. We are to tell them those things and then prayerfully leave them in the Lord's hand. Leave them in the Lord's hands. Just as we do for our family members. Just as we do for our friends. Just as we do for our fellow workers. We tell them the great things the Lord hath done for us. Praying for their salvation if the Lord wills it to be so. Christ alone, 
Christ alone, beloved, is the sole means and instrument of our salvation. It is not about what we do or about what we've done. Now, religion tells you it's all about what you do. That's a lie. Now, God's people will fight and battle and struggle against sin. And we know that we don't have a license to go crazy, right? Because when you say something like that, when you make a statement about it's not about what we do, people right away say you're an antinomian. No, I'm not. No. The love of Christ constrains me from sin. And it does every believer. And if we preach and proclaim what Christ has done, then the love of Christ will constrain believers. So it's not about what we do or what we've done, beloved. It is about what Christ alone has done. What he accomplished on Calvary's cross. Where he is right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. And the only reason we will one day be with him is because of what he's done for us. And God's people just praise his name. Praise his name. May God bless the preaching of his word for his glory and his honor and his praise. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before thee. Oh, thankful Lord Jesus for all that you have done. For all that you have done. For we sin, soul sin, sick sinners is what we are. We're, we're, but yet you've had mercy upon your people. The Lord Jesus Christ died as our substitute upon Calvary's cross. Lord Jesus, we just marvel. Marvel that you, God incarnate in the flesh, the sinless one, the perfect one, the spotless one, would die for sinners. But Lord, that's the only way we could be redeemed. That's the only way we could be justified. It's the only way we could be sanctified is in and through you. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.